10-5. He's into the end zone. Touchdown, Arkansas State. Deflected into the hands of Feltz. Avery for three. Hits. Culver is safe. The Red Wolves have walked it off. Welcome to the Second to None Podcast, the A-State Podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Now, here's a couple of guys who know the Red Wolves like no one else. Matt Stoltz and Brad Bova. And we welcome you in to another edition of the Second to None Podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. A big week for the football team because they finally get to return home this week. It's homecoming week for A-State football. We'll talk about that coming up a little bit later on. But first, we want to take a look back to this past Saturday, the conference opener at Old Dominion. This was the third straight road game for Butch Jones' team. I guess the biggest storyline going in was just who wasn't out there for the Red Wolves. Yeah. Of course, it was announced early in the week that Robert Holmes, the starting right tackle, was out for the year. That's a significant loss to the offensive line. Tavalence Hunt didn't play. Champ Flemings didn't play. Arguably, your two best receivers on the team are out. And then maybe your best defensive player in Kavon Bennett also missing the game Saturday. Yeah, that's all. I mean, Kavon Bennett... I think would be the number one pick as the best player on defense. Might be the number one pick for the best as the best player on the team. Given the, if you factor in the preseason rankings and awards and stuff, he may be considered the best player on the team. He's not playing through the first three games. You'd probably say Champ Flemings was the best player on offense. He's not playing. Tavalence Hunt has had a hard time getting going from an injury standpoint. There's, I mean, that's not arguably your top two receivers. You were being kind. Those are your top two receivers. And you don't have either one of them. You got a senior, as you said, out on the offensive line. That's a lot to ask for for a team that's you know trying to take the next step in the journey here. Still, with all that said, Arkansas State was in possession of the lead in the fourth quarter of this game and had a really, really good opportunity to win on the road. This was our first trip to Old Dominion and brand new stadium. Really nice. They built that thing last year, did a great job with the stadium. But that was an Old Dominion team that had won its only other home game against Virginia Tech in week one. And the week before, it took a last second field goal for Virginia to beat them at Virginia. So we knew it was a a good team going in. Well, and it it set up in some ways – you know, Old Dominion was probably a, a really good opponent for Arkansas State to play in its injury situation because you know you look at you look at Old Dominion scores at this point, right? They're not I mean, they're not shootouts. They're more kind of a grinded out slugfest, and so you know it honestly worked. I think to A State's favor when they're trying to shorten the game a little bit, and so I think you know everybody was on the the same page here in saying that, and they had some injuries too. So realistically. Somebody was probably going to kind of win win a game that was a little scuffed up. I won't say it would be an ugly win because there's no such thing. But I'll say that both teams were probably trying to play for a win that was a little scuffed up. The A-State defense played well enough to win this game. They pitched a first-half shutout. And, in fact, the first points of the ball game came in the second quarter from the defense. It was a safety on a holding call to go up 2 nothing, and then that kind of kick-started the offense a little bit. Three plays later, the Red Wolves were able to finish a 75-yard drive. Brian Sneed able to get in the end zone. Sneed stands to the left of the quarterback, Blackman. Give it to Brian Sneed, running right. He's in. Touchdown, Arkansas State. The Red Wolves in the end zone for the first time tonight with 9.27 remaining in the opening half. And at that point, they're up 9 to nothing. Later on, Dominic Zavada, the true freshman, hits another field goal, 44 yards out. He's now 6-for-6 six six to begin his career. Really no doubt about the field goal. So you're up 12 nothing at the half. But then Old Dominion gets off to a good start in the second half. They score on their opening drive of the third quarter. The A-State offense answered right back. A good drive and a really pretty throwing catch from James Blackman to Jeff Foreman. This one from 49 yards out. Jones split left. Foreman to the right. Stevenson, the H-back on the left. James Blackman going deep right side looking for Jeff Foreman. This ball is caught. Jeff Foreman backpedals into the end zone. Touchdown, Arkansas.
Arkansas State. And Jeff Foreman was a, a big part of this game. Four catches, 115 yards, including that touchdown. But he had to leave the ball game early due to an injury. Yep. So, so now your three best receivers yeah, you, you had, are out. You had uh, 12 points scored in the first half and 21 points scored in the first five minutes of the third quarter. Yeah, because Old Dominion came back and scored on their next drive, cut it to 19-14. to 14. And then later in the third, James Blackman throws his first interception of the year. The Look what I found. defensive end finds it, <laughs> takes it 16 yards in for the – Pick six, but A State comes back again. And AJ Mayer, as we've seen through the first four games, was a factor rotating in at quarterback. And he was able to get in the end zone to give the Red Wolves the lead once again. On the left hash, A State third and one from the ODU 23. Lang stands to the right of the quarterback, AJ Mayer. Mayer fakes the handoff, keeps it. First down across the 20, 10. AJ Mayer is into the end zone for the score. The Red Wolves are back on top with 12-10 remaining in the fourth on the 23-yard touchdown run by A.J. Mayer. And A.J. had a team high, 46 rushing yards in the game. And, and I think he and you know and Blackman in their own ways, like right, James, they were each kind of nicked up a little bit too, you know. I mean, you saw James come in and out of that game some, and I, I think he and A.J. both a little bit banged up. They were. Uh, neither was fully healthy at the end of that ball game but it's 26 21 at that point and then the red wolves get the ball back and old dominion gets the strip sack they recover at the 29 yard line of arkansas state four plays later they're in the end zone they take the lead for good and old dominion ends up winning at 29 to 26 so a state you could make a case dominated in so many ways they outgained them they had 10 more first downs in the game than ODU Red Wolves had the football more than 38 minutes but those two turnovers led to two touchdowns and Old Dominion ends up winning it by three and I guess the other stat that you can look at here are the sacks James Blackman ended up being sacked seven times on the night and that's not one guy's fault right but they I mean they have the internet over there in Norfolk, and they know you're down a senior start on the offensive line. And they didn't do it all the time, but when they needed to, they just said, well, all right, we're going to pin everybody's ears back and just bull rush this thing and see what happens. And more times than not, it was successful. Yeah, James was running a lot the other night, and he did make some things happen with his feet. But at the same time, a lot of pressure all night long. And, again, it really didn't help with Robert Holmes suffering the season-ending injury against Memphis but the A-State offensive line obviously now searching for some answers going forward into this week's game against ULM again we'll talk about ULM a little bit later on one other thing that came out this past week the A-State Hall of Honor class was announced and next Friday the night before the James Madison game It'll be the Hall of Honor ceremony where three former A-State football players and the first ever bowler will be inducted into the Hall of Honor. The bowler is Marissa Martinek, a two-time All-American. She was with the Red Wolves from 2007 to 2010. Started out competing as an Indian. Yeah, she started as an Indian her first year. And then Corey Williams, the former defensive lineman from 2000 to 2003, two-time all Sun Belt selection. And, you know, he hung around in the league a long time, Corey Williams did. He had a nice he did. career. Had a nice career in the NFL. Another guy that had a long pro career, both in the CFL and the National Football League. Cleo Lemon started at quarterback all four years. He was at Arkansas State from 1997 to 2000. And we've been waiting on that one for a while. <laughs> we knew Cleo would go in at some point. And one more quarterback. Corey Leonard, the three-time All-Sunbelt selection from 2006 to 2009. And what do you know? Corey Leonard is going to join us next here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. When we play today, we win something bigger than ribbons or trophies. We win our tomorrows. Wherever we play, wherever we fight, wherever we overcome odds, we're winning our way. Simmons Bank is committed to supporting women athletes in the communities we serve. 
and are proud to be an official sponsor of A-State Women's Athletics. Not just for a season, but for a winning future. Seasons are short, but fierce is forever. Simmons Bank, member FDIC. And we welcome you back into the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. We are pleased to be joined now by a good friend of ours, former A-State quarterback who next week will be inducted into the Arkansas State Hall of Honor. He was a starting quarterback from 2006 to 2009, a three-time All-Sun Belt Conference selection. Corey Leonard joins us now. How you doing, Corey? Good, guys. Good. Thanks for having me. Well, tell me about the call. How did you find out that uh, you would be one of the four inductees into the Hall of Honor this year? You know, it was uh, it was a really unique day for me. I was traveling, which which you and I kind of joked about offline. It's pretty consistent these days. But I don't tend to answer calls that I don't have in my phone. So I saw a Jonesboro <laughs> number, and uh, and unfortunately, I didn't take it initially. Uh, but Mike was fortunate enough to leave me a voicemail and tried to catch up with him about 30 minutes later. And, and he did a great job of teasing me because he said, hey, Corey, this is Mike Leghorn. I've got some great news to tell you. I'm not going to tell you over or, uh, voicemail, though. If you could call me back as soon as you can, please do so. I had no idea uh, <laughs> what that even meant. So I called him back anxiously awaiting, uh, you know, if I won the Powerball in Arkansas. But uh, uh-huh. I had done even better. It was uh, being selected uh, into this year's class of the Hall of Honor. And uh, obviously, look, it means a lot uh, to me and in, in, in the career and my family. I spent an enormous amount of time up there. So really, really fortunate to get that call and, and appreciative of those years uh, in Jonesboro. Mike, really, you missed an opportunity. When you called back, you should have said, yeah, I was just, uh, he should have said, I was just uh, reaching out to you about your car's extended warranty. What is <laughs> you know what? Who would have me sold? I would have been like, you know what, me. Maybe I've got something still lasting in Jonesboro. I've got to go get it solved. So he could have, he would have had me fooled uh, pretty quickly. Well, it's well deserved, Corey, and just uh, couldn't be happier for you that that you are getting inducted into the A State Hall of Honor. And yeah, I remember your entire career. You know, Brad and I were fortunate to have a front row seat for the entire thing. But kind of want to go back and just retell your story a little bit i know you're from covington louisiana tell us the first time you heard about arkansas state and tell us about that first time that somebody from the football staff contacted you about coming to jonesboro yeah so you know i actually remember it pretty vividly i was a uh, i grew up in, in a pretty small town in south louisiana and, and realized i guess around my freshman or sophomore year i was fortunate to start on varsity and I went to a pretty big football program, high school, and so I knew I had a chance. I knew I wasn't, you know, six three, six four, but but I knew I had a shot um, at playing. And around my junior year, a lovely gentleman named Doug Roos came to one of my practices and and uh, and said, "Hey, you know, you may have not have heard of us, but we're, you know, I, I'm a coach at Arkansas State. I'm an offensive coordinator, and we'd love to offer you a football scholarship." And they really offered me the first time I talked to him. So. I had never heard of Arkansas State. And at the time, I was a commit to Ole Miss because my head coach at the time, Daryl Graham, had played at Ole Miss. And they had David Cutcliffe there who had trained the Mannings. And so I was kind of dead set as a Louisiana kid to go to Ole Miss and, and, and train under David Cutcliffe. And sometime during my senior year, Ole Miss decided to let go of David. And I sat down with my offensive coordinator at the time in high school, Pat Lambert, and my mom. And, you know, the best advice I was given was he said, look, you need to go where you feel like the school really wants you. Like, wh- like who is invested in you? And uh, in Arkansas State had come in really, really early. And they had always followed up. And Tate Bainey, who was not there the whole time I was there, but he was there when I was a freshman, was a great recruiter with Coach Roos. Yeah. And they just always made me feel like I was wanted. And so when, when the change at Ole Miss happened, I remember my grandmother uh, and I drove up to Jonesboro and visited one time and I was like, that's where I'm going. And, uh, and the rest is history. What makes somebody in this case, if it's Doug Roos, Tate Bainey, whatever it was, besides you said they made you feel wanted or whatever, but beyond that, take us inside the life of a recruit. Tell me what makes somebody a good recruiter. You know, I, I think it's asking the questions that resonate with you as, as a kid. I mean, remember when this is all occurring, you're, 
16 and 17 years old, you know, by the time you graduate, you're 18, but when they're, when they're recruiting you, you're 16 and 17. So you're, you're worried about getting your driver's license and, and who you're taking to the next dance at your high school on top of being a a good athlete and and a good, you know, student athlete. And the thing that I found with coach Roos and coach Bainey was they just, they asked the questions that were personal to me. They asked about my family. They really embraced the culture of South Louisiana, which is always, you know, kind of the more the merrier type of culture. And, and a lot of schools don't do that. A lot of them were very tactical, like, Hey, you know, how are your numbers? How'd you guys play? How do you felt like you played? And that's all great. But, you know, when you invest in a kid, you're not only bringing that kid in, but you're bringing his family in you're bringing that family to the town that you want him to, to represent and play. And, and I just felt like those guys, really did a great job of that. And, and Coach Roberts, even when I spoke to Coach Roberts, I mean, he was always about being men and, and having morals and having ethics. And it was always so much more about football. And uh, and that just always meant a lot to me. And so it just resonated with how I grew up and how I was raised by my parents. And that's what made it, it, it a familiar kind of pathway and where you get excited about going and ultimately where you commit to, to spend your college years. You mentioned Coach Roberts. Talk about him and the effect he had not only on your career, but just your trajectory as a person and a man going forward in life. Yeah. You know, he, coach Roberts was like the dad, you never wanted to disappoint, you know, like you really, you really had this pressure <laughs> of not wanting to disappoint him as more of a parent figure than a coach. And it was because he was so passionate. I don't know if people ever got to fully see that about him, but man, he was such a passionate human being and it was not uncommon for him to cry. It was not uncommon for him to get really, really excited and defend his players. And so you always felt this level of expectation, not that was, that was unhealthy, but you felt as if it was a dad who had invested a lot of time and his passion and his love in you. And and he expects you to be a good human being and he expects you to compete but he never judged, I think, success for us off of wins and losses. It was about heart. It was about commitment. And it was about how we represented the school and the community and ourselves as players. And, and again, when you're at that such an influential time of your life, you don't appreciate that probably until you become a parent yourself. And as you get out into what I, you know, what you kind of refer to as the real world, you appreciate it much more probably 10 years after I played for him than I did even when I played for him. So he was just a phenomenal human being. Things like I will, obviously that being a staple of what you guys, you know, sort of his philosophy there. And even things like having milk and cookies on a Friday night before (laughs) a ball game. As you look back now as an adult, how do those things, what do they mean to you now that they didn't when you were living them? You know, I, I think it's about taking the time to invest in the things that matter, right? It's about having meaningful conversation. It's about making meaning, you know, meaningful commitments to people around you. And it's about being meaningful in the way that you approach life. And, and if, if at a certain time your life is, is a college athlete in football, then great. But at 35 now, you know, what's most important to me is being a dad of, of four amazing kids and being a good husband to my wife and and that all takes the time to be meaningful in those relationships and how you think about them. And I owe a ton of that to Coach Roberts because I can remember, and I'll tell a quick story. We had just played FAU. It was my senior year, and the season was not going the way that everyone expected it to. We were heavily favored at the beginning of the year, and we had, had a ton of en- uh, injuries. Evan Vandola blows out his leg first game of the season. We got hit hard. Reggie was battling a lot, mm-hmm. and, and he benched. Reggie and I to allow Applin and some of the younger guys to start. And I remember people in the stands were like yelling at him for making that decision because, you know, selfishly as parents, they want their kids to play. We had been there a long time and he pulled this out in front of everybody in front of the bus. Everybody was in the bus, but they could all see. And he, he was out front of the bus and he started crying and he was just like, but I want you guys to know how much I love you. And, and we, we had a conversation that was private. I won't you know replicate it. But the amount of humbleness it takes a man that was probably in his late 40s at the time to bring out two early 20-year-olds that had been in his program for four or five years that were very much faces of an organization for that period of time and to acknowledge to us how hard and heavy those emotional decisions could occur 
Like that's something that just doesn't happen. And, no. and man, I, I respect him so much for doing that because I remember it vividly and I loved him more as a, as a person in that moment than I probably had my entire career. And I just have an enormous amount of respect for him as a person. I want to go back to the beginning of your career. And uh, I remember you were here in 2005 for that conference championship season. You were waiting and, and watching Nick Noche. He was the quarterback that year. And then 2006 comes around. You're a redshirt freshman. And at that point, you're competing for the starting job. And I remember even at the beginning of the year, it was you and Travis Hewitt that were still kind of competing for that starting job. And your first game as, well, I was about to say a Red Wolf, as an Indian was <laughs> that 2006 season opener against Army, the home win over Army. What's your recollection of that game and just uh, how that season started? You know, th that was a unique season because we started out with a ton of excitement. We had a, we had a, a really talented roster, and the, and the big question mark was me and Travis. Now, both of us had come from strong high school programs. We both had spent a couple of years in the program, Travis a little bit longer than me, and Travis and I were good friends while Nick was there. And, and I just remember the atmosphere, as much as you think that you've played a lot of football in your life in high school and some big games, and in South Louisiana, you played in front of some really big crowds, that, that home opener was jam-packed with people. There was a ton of buzz around the university that entire week, and the game was highly competitive right off the bat because it was kind of a, a slow tit-for-tat, and it wasn't a high-scoring so you really could feel the stress. But I, I remember getting as the final seconds ticked off the clock and they rushed the field. I think, you know, pieces of the goalpost ended up in our fraternity house that night. <laughs> you just really got a sense of saying like, hey, we've got something here at, at this moment in time in Jonesboro, Arkansas, at this university. And you don't know how successful it's going to be, but you just felt like you've got the right personalities in place that were heading in the right trajectory. And man, it was, it was such an exciting time because obviously we had a few big wins after that. We had a few potential wins against some huge programs that were also, you know, just as exciting. So it was a, uh, it was a great launch to my career and my experiences in Jonesboro, having army there in Jonesboro. And I think kind of the first time we had hosted, you know, kind of a, a bigger program that was, that was not from the regional area, right, that had to fly in yeah. um, and experience uh, experience Northeast Arkansas. Maybe in the first game on turf, is that right? I think it was. Yeah, just a, a great moment, and I remember the, the goalpost coming down as well. But you ultimately, Corey, ended up winning the starting job, and the moment that everybody remembers <laughs> from that 2006 season and probably the most played-back moment in the history of the program was the Hail Mary against Memphis at the Liberty Bowl in 2006. When you go back and think about that moment, what's the biggest thing that stands out about the play itself? What's going through your mind before it happens as you're throwing that ball 65, 70 yards downfield? And once you realize that Patrick Higgins has come down with it for the game-winning score you know there was a weird series of events that led to that and I'm not sure people remember the whole game but you know we had jumped on Memphis pretty quick in the first half and we had a ton of momentum and they came back and took the lead uh with a few trick plays and and again things it just felt like the ball was bouncing in a different direction in the second half and and that's demoralizing as a player when you can kind of see that trend playing out on that last drive there was two plays where I had lost my shoe and we didn't have the ability to stop the clock. And so I was trying to push off on my right foot to throw the ball. And I was with a sock on, on turf. So I could not throw. It was really, really stressful. And I remember getting to the sidelines. I, I forgot how much time we had. It was a few seconds left. And I, I really felt defeated at the time. And I remember two things. I remember coach Roberts coming up to me and saying, hey, can you throw it that far? And, of course, I was going to say yes no matter where we were at on the field. We could have been on the five. I was going to say yes. But, yes, I can, I can throw it that far. And uh, and I remember Coach Roos that just said, look, don't get lazy on the phone. The headset, he was talking to Coach uh, McCarthy at the time. He said, don't get lazy. 
because we have to let the field side D in almost come free to buy you time to get outside of the pocket. I was supposed to get outside of the pocket almost wider than I did, but their DNs are taught to, to try to contain. And so once I got out the pocket on the play, I knew I had a shot to get the ball down there. We had bought a ton of time. And I just remember when I released the ball, I just felt like, well, at least I got it down there because the ball came off really nice spinning. I knew it would get down to the end zone. And then I didn't, I couldn't see anything. And the next thing I saw after was Levi DeJanet looking like he's running towards me and he's, and he's making this catch sign. And I'm like, there's no, (laughs) no way he caught that. (laughs) Um, And sure enough, then they, you know, gave the touchdown signal. And then from that point on, it was just chaos. I had thrown my helmet off and everybody was come up. They were hugging me, but everyone was so sweaty that I could not see because they had just, everyone was blinding me with the sweat from, from their jerseys and their arms. And so I couldn't see anything. I could just hear everybody going crazy. So it was such, such a unique moment. And uh, one that I remember vividly, even today, as I've told the story to my kids. So at that time for my setup, right, I was in the booth with you guys, Matt, till about you know the last five minutes of the game or so, mm-hmm. go down and get ready to do the post-game interview. And Memphis had just taken the lead. I'm getting ready to go down. Of course, the elevator takes a while and it stops. So it finally comes and it stops on a floor where Memphis has, you know, club level or whatever. So three or four Memphis fans get in there. We've been enjoying the day. And uh, we're riding down and uh, they say, they see I'm from Arkansas State. They say, well, are we, you know, I know we're leaving early. The game's not over yet. Does that make us bad fans? And I said, well, no, because all you're going to miss is a comeback and you don't want to see that anyway. Now, I'm not sure I believed it, but I said it. And so I'm glad to hear that uh, Corey uh, may have felt a little bit of the same way. He knew he'd go out to run that play, but maybe wasn't conv- completely convinced until uh, he knew it was caught. Yeah, I'll tell you, too, And it's where the ball was marked, I felt like, all right, I, I can make this throw. I think the ball was marked at about 62 yards to the goal line. But by the time I rolled out, you're probably seven yards deep. I probably stepped into five yards deep. So now you're like, all right, well, now I'm like 67 yards, and I've got, and that's just to the goal line. So I'm, I really need this ball to get down there high with a good arc and to try to get to the center part. We always shoot for two yards past, past the goal line on those drills, and we actually worked that, that play a pretty good bit. But it was one that as soon as I let it go, I knew it was going to get there. And, uh, and at that point, you're just, you're just hoping that, that you get to, you know, to get to tell the stories to your kids that, that the play worked out and it was, it was a big deal. So it was a, uh, I feel so fortunate to be in that that experience with so many great players and coaches because it was just a ton of fun. Look, that wasn't your only signature moment against Memphis because you were at home the next year when Memphis came to Jonesboro. You're down 31 to 6 at the half, and you were the quarterback for the comeback as you know your team comes back in the second half to win that game 35-31 and you know one of the more electric atmospheres I think we've ever had. Yeah, that that was when people have asked me over the years what my favorite game was. I think they all expect me to say the Hail Mary, but it never has been. It, it's always been that game. Um and and the reason was because I I've, I've never seen a locker room in a halftime come together down 31 to whatever the score was. And I remember Tyrell, you know, Tyrell Johnson, that was a, was a high draft pick for the Vikings. He was a senior and he comes to me and he says, look, he says, if you can score, they won't score another point. And, and as a, and as a sophomore at the time, you know, know, Tyrell was, he was the upper echelon of players, not only in our conference, but in in the country. And when he comes up and tells you that you're like, yes, sir. Like, (laughs) we're going to go put points on the board. And man, I just could tell from the moment, Kevin Jones ran that punt back. I don't think anybody on our sideline would have told you we had any doubt we were winning that game because there was just no force that was going to stop the momentum that had been created. But that momentum was there because, to your point, I don't know if I ever experienced a game in Jonesboro that had the electricity of that stadium that night against that team. And we played in some great stadiums. We, you know, we, we, we beat A&M in front of a great crowd and, and some other big games. But, man, there was nothing like the excitement and the energy in that stadium that night. And, and Northeast Arkansas has that potential. It has that potential to be that kind of a venue every time they step on the field. And, man, it, that was just that was just an awesome, awesome experience. 
and, and game and, and and to do it against Memphis just make it just makes it that much better. It's funny you boys each describe that as an electric atmosphere because we only played that game that la- that night because of uh, lightning. Remember That's we had right. a full stadium <laughs> and as the teams run out a storm hits and after a two or three hour delay they decide that each team uh, had a date later in the season that we could get together and try it again. Yeah, and and honestly the night they decided to cancel the game that night started out with an amazing atmosphere. Oh, yeah. I mean, the stadium was jam-packed, so everyone was so excited because I was like, man, this is going to be a, a great night. And when they said they were going to cancel it, and I was like, you know what? Duck season is going to be started. We're not going to get good fans. You know, everybody's going to be everybody's going to be in duck blinds. But I, but I give the community and the fans and the university so much credit because I, I forgot how far we pushed it down later on the season. But I tell you, man, they, they came out in force that that night when we played, and it was just a big advantage for us. I got chills when you were retelling that story just a minute ago. I mean, and I felt the same thing. When, when Kevin Jones ran that punt back, you're still down 18. But I think we all felt that you were going to come back and win that game just based off the feeling we had at that moment. And, look, you – not only had those moments, we talk about the Hail Mary, we talk about the comeback. You mentioned the Texas A&M victory. There were some near misses in there, too. 2007 at Texas, mm-hmm. certainly an opportunity to win that game. I remember 09 at Iowa, uh, had the football as time ran out. But to kind of be associated, Corey, with some of the marquee moments in Arkansas State football history and some of those big memorable games it has to be something that uh, you can be proud about all these years later you know it, it is something to be proud of I remember when I was when I was leaving or after my senior year Ryan Applin and I've always stayed to be good friends and man I've got an enormous amount of respect for him just as, as a quarterback and as a player but but also just as a person and he and I talked about this this is that, you know, even though the ones that got away from you, you look back against Texas and, and right, they brought a zone blitz and I thought I had a, an easy touchdown and they had dropped the DN and I threw right into his hands. Like, you don't forget those players. I mean, I, I can tell you exactly what the defense they were running and the route that we had called and, and the thought process going through my head when I let the ball go, only to realize they had, they had won the, the, the chess battle in that moment. But what you feel a ton of pride is, is that, the younger guys that were there during those games of close calls, you you do take a level of pride because you look at how those players like Demario Davis and Ryan Applin and, 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 and Stockhammer and these guys, how they approached their time and the confidence they had, you do feel like that you played a small role in helping cultivate some of that confidence because those guys were there to see you go in toe for toe against some of the biggest programs in the country. So talk about, you know, obviously you'd like to win these games and, and you're going to get greedy. You'd like to win it. And as a quarterback, have to throw for about 400 yards and five or six touchdowns to do it. But how about, you know, being a quarterback at a night in, you know, College Station, Texas, when you had to throw one touchdown pass to get the win, just happened to be the biggest touchdown pass you could throw at the time. Yeah. I, so the silver lining with that is, is that I, I ended up moving and, and spending an enormous amount of my time as an adult in Houston. And there is uh, in Houston is Aggie country. So yeah. it's the greatest, greatest thing to be able to tell all my <laughs> Aggie friends down here. But like, hey, I know Appalachian State hurt, but I can tell you what also hurt. Uh, you know, there was this game against Arkansas State and they all remember. Right. They all were there. So that's a ton of fun to be able to to talk through. And that was a game where. And Coach Roberts always kind of communicated this. You know, when you're playing a big school, you have to be realistic, right? They're going to they're gonna out-talent you. They're going to have more depth. But you just have to be able to buy your time and stay close because they have all the pressure. They're supposed to beat you by 40. So, you know, how a team responds when they're not beating you by 40 really shows how they handle stress. And we were, we were just trying to create stress for them as a program and there was a little bit of bulletin board material that week where they had Sherman that had just come from the NFL. And, you know, he called me Carrie instead of Corey. And Coach Roos reminded me of that, um, <laughs> you know, all week. And uh, and so, yeah, so as you're sitting there, you're like, you know what? We, we match up well with these guys. We may not score 40, but our defense is playing, playing really well. And and we knew that we could control all the, cl- the clock. And, and, and Derek 
Lawson and Reggie just had really, really strong nights. And so we controlled the run game on the ground. I think I had rushed for a pretty good amount too. And so we just knew going into the second half, like, look, let's just hang around and put pressure on these guys and see how one, their players respond, how their coaches respond, how their fan base responded, because we, we were able to dictate a lot of what was going on that night in that stadium against a really good team. Hey, I got to ask you, what's it like to be a quarterback when Josh Arocco's your kicker? Because here's what I want to mean. I mean, like, number one, you, you want to score touchdowns, but you know if the field goal unit's got to come out there. On the one hand, you think, well, he's probably going to make this. But on the other hand, you know that no matter where it's from, it's going to be with about a half a yard to spare. So what's it like uh, standing through all those Arocco field goals? So if you were asking me at the time, I would have said, you know, there's no question. We know Rocco's going to make these and like we've got the utmost confidence. I don't care who you are. You're in that moment. You're scared to death because <laughs> it's not that you're worried about Rocco missing it, but you're worried about the snap. Is the ball too sweaty? You know, is the holder going to get it down? Are we going to make sure we block their guys? Is he going to come out too low? Because in that moment, I have such a, such a respect for kickers. You know, I get to kind of redeem myself throughout an entire game as a quarterback. If I make a bad throw, I get to come back and try to redeem it in the next drive. In that moment, you, there's no redemption, right? Like, you just – you have to make this. And you've gotten, an, you know, half of a state, uh, a fan base. Everybody in this moment expects you as a kicker to be 100% lights out. And he may have not done anything active for the last 35 minutes. You know, so it's it's a it's an amazing experience for a kicker to just be able to come out, navigate all that situation, not have any real flow or feel of the game. And just to have you know such a level of composure to sit there and drill those field goals. And uh, and look, we see it. We see it every weekend in college football, even even today. I mean, Arkansas and Texas A&M, even last weekend, like, look, you don't think it matters. Look at how quickly a game can change when uh, when the kicker doesn't come through in that one moment. And uh, and Rocco just had an amazing year. I mean, he had an amazing career, and, and uh, we were fortunate. So uh, it, was a, it was a ton of fun to have him. You mentioned that senior season. And going into 2009, there was a lot of expectations. You were the preseason favorites by a whole lot of people. But I remember the 24 season-ending injuries. And you told the story uh, earlier about just how that season ended with – you never feeling closer to Coach Roberts than when he told you that he was going to put Ryan Applin in as the new quarterback. Is that a perspective that kind of just comes with with age, with maturity through the years? Do you, do you look back now at that time, not, not only your senior year, but your entire time at Arkansas State with a whole new perspective now? You know, I think when you when you, as you as you get older, right, you you also realize that that life is a lot bigger than football. But I think you you really appreciate the fact that, you know, the, the greatest opportunities for self-growth are when you hit what you feel like at the time is your lowest moment. And at the time, I can remember when the season was kind of getting away and the injuries are starting to pile up. You have an anger, right? You're just mad at the situation. But the reality is you can't control the situation, right? Like I'm sitting there mad that I'm not playing the way that I wanted to play or the season wasn't going that way. But as I look back as a 35-year-old with four kids who's a dad, I, I look back at someone like Evan Vandola and like how how well he handled, right, going into a senior year of, of being a high, a really highly touted player and, and him – never getting to finish that out after all the years of commitment. You have a, a appreciation for those aspects and other people um, in that situation and, and how that affects them. And, and, and to Coach Roberts, I mean, look, trust me, there's no one that wanted more that season to go in a way of being magical than more than Steve Roberts did, right, who just lived and breathed at university and had been there a long time. So, you know, as you get older, you have a ton of appreciation for those challenges because – it also shows you the human beings and who they were um, that were around you. And, and I can remember like it was yesterday after the season got done, it was in the off season. I was still in Jonesboro. I was rehab. And I can remember the day coach Roos got fired and I was going to the complex. I had no intention. I wasn't trying to go meet him. I had just heard he got let go. And I just happened to be pulling up to the, to the facility as he was walking out and it was a surreal moment because he had a box like you see on TV 
of stuff and he was going to his car. And now looking back, you know, so many years later, I'm like, here's, here's a man that this was his career. This was, he's got a family and a great wife and daughters. And it's a moment that impacts him. So you look back and you realize that it, those things are tough and they're challenging, but they ultimately are there for you to grow and experience from. And, uh, and look, you got to take the good with the bad. And that, that season was, was one to definitely learn a lot from and uh, go through a level of pain that, that, you know, uh, has an impact on you moving forward, but it was much bigger than me and, and Reggie. It was, it was something that affected a lot of families um, in a community, but I think the silver lining is all of it's there for growth. And, uh, and, and, and all of those individuals ended up, you know, continuing to prosper and, and move forward. And uh, again, just, just a great experience all around to have. So how's football or how's playing quarterback get you ready for, at one point, you guys would have had four kids under the age of six, including a set of twins in the middle. So how's football get you ready for that stuff? You know, I, I thought trying to get a locker room of 105 guys to do the same thing and be on the same page was tough. You know, <laughs> trying to get four kids to, to listen to you um, and to get them on the same page is even tougher. So it, it, it does carry over a lot. I mean, you know, I've been really fortunate in my professional career to work with great people and great teams and to find success. But I, I relate so many things back to athletics because it, there are very few platforms that bring together people from different social backgrounds, economic backgrounds, all to work and dedicate to a single goal. And the management of that to enable other people to be successful for the broader success of a, of a, of a big time effort or a macro effort, it's, it's just something that you can't replicate. And, and I, I know I would not have had the career that I've had so far in my life. Uh, if I wouldn't have had those experiences and, and, and been around the people that I was around during, during my five years in, in Jonesboro. So it's a, uh, it's a great experience. I wish I could give it to everybody because I think everybody would enjoy it, but felt really fortunate to, to experience what I did during that period of my life. Well, Corey, you sound fantastic. Yep. And couldn't be happier for you and your family and, for this incredible honor of going into the Hall of Honor next week. And I'll tell you right now, I can't, uh, can't wait to see you. Can't wait to hug your neck and, and see you go into a, a very elite group next Friday night in Jonesboro. Well, I re- really appreciate that. I- I'm excited. You know, my family's excited. And, and look, would, would not want to do it uh, with any other group than, than, than you guys. And glad you guys are going to be involved with it. And can't wait to see everybody uh, here coming up soon. We'll see you next week. Again, that's Corey Leonard, former A-State quarterback, joining us here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. We'll be back to wrap it up right after this. You raised your family here. Did every July 4th here refinished the floors here twice? Sized up your daughter's boyfriends here? Waited in the doorway all day when your son was coming home on leave? This place has given you all you've dreamed of, and now it's giving again in the form of a gourmet kitchen and the quietest dishwasher known to man. Realize your dream with a home equity line of credit from Simmons Bank. Dreams realized. SimmonsBank.com. Member FDIC, equal housing lender, subject to credit approval. Wrapping things up here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. Taking a look at some other things going on in the world of A-State athletics. The volleyball team opened up conference play this past weekend. They dropped their first two conference matches to Georgia Southern. Friday night was a, a really good match. A close first set. Georgia Southern you know, won a back-and-forth first set. Then A-State got down, I think, like 13-2 at one point in the second set and kind of came back and made that closer. Mm-hmm. And then once they did, it was like the second half of that set, all of a sudden Red Wolves won the third, won the fourth, and you know got it into a fifth set. But Georgia Southern, the older, more experienced team, able to – pick up the five setter there they'll be back in action thursday and friday they'll be in lafayette to take on the cajuns thursday night at six and then friday afternoon at four the soccer team had a really nice week they won a couple of matches three to two home victory over marshall which is a really high scoring contest for them <laughs> that was back on thursday and then they followed that up going on the road and winning at Troy on Sunday by the score of 2 to 1 they're now 4-4 four, four and 2 overall 2 and 1 in conference play yeah that Marshall one was a nice win cuz A state played from ahead like got ahead for, and, and then 
you know, Marshall tied it up, and I think as soon as they did, went down and scored again. Then I think Marshall got a little help, if you will, tying it up at two. A questionable call along there helped Marshall get it tied at two, but A-State came right back and, boom, quickly uh, got the winner 3-2. Soccer team with just one match this week. They'll be in Statesboro coming up Sunday at 11 a.m. start time for it's, that That's one. the conference soccer schedule this year where you play two matches one week and one the next. And two matches Does it go that way? One the next. Yep. Every other week. Yep. You've got two. All right, so a little bit of extra time between contests this week for Coach Dooley and his crew, but uh, they'll go for a third win in a row coming up on Sunday. Meanwhile, Saturday, it's homecoming at Centennial Bank Stadium. A-State football taking on ULM. Kickoff at 6. Our coverage begins at 4 over on the EAB Red Wolves Sports Network from Learfield. The game on ESPN Plus as the Red Wolves look for a 13th consecutive win over the Warhawks. And, man, we need... One heck of a crowd in there because you know these guys it's are been leading forever. the division. Yeah, I mean, yeah, ULM coming off a really nice win, uh, a team that uh, they hadn't beaten in a while, and really not many teams in the league have beaten in a <laughs> yeah. long while. They beat the Raging Cajuns this past Saturday in Monroe, so they're now one and zero in conference play, and you got to think they're fired up coming. Oh in. gosh, yeah, big win, biggest for for Coach Bowden. And then they're going to come in here. They're hearing a lot, I'm sure, this week down there about when's the last time they beat Arkansas State. It's been a long time. It's been, a long it's been time. since 2009. And so they'd love to change that. And, you know, golly, it's just time. I I, I hope everybody will get on board. We just haven't, you know, you, you got to go back to at least 2019. You know, the last time we had a legit, you know, really big, good home crowd. And my goodness, it'd be nice to – this team has been the – epitome is sort of the the thin line between winning and losing right i mean you're you're probably five total plays away from three and one instead of one and three and you know hopefully people don't just you know bail now i mean right i mean obviously ohio state's a hundred thousand people right Mm -hmm. so that's its own beast memphis down the stretch right in a tight game the crowd made the difference old dominion down the stretch in a tight game the crowd made the difference yeah it's time to try that crap out on somebody else yeah you're Exactly right. The crowd was a factor each of the last two weeks on the road. Now, we will have one thing that we haven't had before at (laughs) Centennial Bank Stadium, something that you kind of teased initially on this podcast a couple of weeks ago. And I think as soon as you did, right right afterwards, you were able to put it out that it was up for vote mm-hmm. as far as a new stadium song. I know you had a lot of submissions as far as what that song would be. You narrowed it down to four choices. We're going to have a winner coming up on Saturday for the first time ever. There's going to be a stadium song. So by the time you're listening to this, in all likelihood, the voting's closed because that's at noon on Tuesday. So hopefully you voted, and if you did, thank you. But yeah, I, I sort of vowed to let this first one, I gave it to the fan base, right? I mean, they, they had tonal ownership of it. In the submission phase, when it ended, I literally went through every reply to a Facebook post, every response to a tweet, even the quote tweets. I mean, I, I went and looked, sorted all through it, and... I'll say this, three of the four songs that were on there clearly got suggested more than the others. The fourth, there were a couple of different ways you could go. We kind of talked it over with some people. Out of, hey, here are some options for that fourth spot. Picked it, and then you'll put it up there. And the voting's been fun to watch because which song's been ahead? And you got Ring of Fire by Johnny Cash. A lot of people wanted it because of the Johnny Cash tie. That's the number one yeah. reason we're here. Friends in Low Places made it in there from Garth Brooks just because of its great sing-along ability. Black Keys song, Howling for You, because of the title. And, and it's got a really singable little ditty in the chorus. Uh, I think it's got some issues, honestly, as a sing-along song. I think there are big pauses in it where there are no words. And sing-along songs are better with words in my humble opinion um but we'll make we can make it work if it gets the most votes and then you know you, you should probably expected that you know hungry like the wolf duran duran is going to be in there so those are your four and i promise you as we're sitting here talking on monday afternoon any of the four could still win a couple hours in to the voting the other day when there were about 220 or so votes in first place and last place were separated by six votes 
uh, at the time. So, I mean, every one of them uh, still, I'm pretty sure whichever one wins, and this could change, but right now I would feel pretty confident to tell you whichever one wins won't have 30% of the vote. That's about as tight as you could have ever thought this would be. Yeah. And so uh, if you cast your vote or if you didn't, come in there, and then uh, as soon as that third quarter ends. So that's when we're playing. Right to it. After the, the third, third quarter, quarter, that's when the song's coming. Yeah. We'll see which one you guys voted in. All right. So that's coming up. First time ever. We'll have the designated stadium song coming and, up and then we'll Saturday. see what happens past that right the one thing we did is i promised you i promised the fans that they'd have total ownership of which one goes first right which ones we're choosing from and which one goes first and so then it's going to kind of be up to them i mean I, I mean i don't want this to be something that goes a game or two or three or four or even the rest of the season i want this to be something that goes on for well ever yeah and so yeah, I don't know that the song that wins the poll is going to be the song that lasts forever, but I promise it's going to be the song that goes first, and and is, and then we'll see what happens, right? We may turn around and vote on it again. It's kind of like King of the Hill till we figure this thing out. Eventually, I want the song that the most people want and the people that will grab a hold of because if you're just sitting on your butt the whole time and you don't participate, then we're spinning our wheels anyhow. True. And maybe that just counts as the rant. Is it don't if you show up number one if you're if you're list if you're still listening to this at this point in time right you're pretty invested in Arkansas State so chances are you voted thank you for that but if you show up and uh, come the end of the third quarter the song you voted for didn't win don't pout sing <laughs> don't pout sing that's good advice you, you should put those words up on the video board too. <laughs> Looking forward to the game, looking forward to the song, everything. Hopefully just a great homecoming atmosphere. 345 Red Saturday. Wolf Walk. All right. Yeah, get there early. It looked good. Actually, no better time to get out there early, tailgate, the, the kid watch zone the Red Wolf is, Walk. You know, the hijinks kid zone is back out in tailgate city. It's not on another part of the world. It's right in tailgate city. Okay. So there's stuff for the kids to do. Red Wolf Walk through there. There'll be a lot of stuff happening. It's homecoming for Pete's sake. Hey, thanks again to Corey Leonard for joining us. Enjoyed that visit. We'll see you Saturday at Centennial Bank Stadium as the Red Wolves take on ULM for homecoming 2022. For Brad, I'm Matt. You've been listening to the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank.